Well, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 this morning, and you can find it on page 1002 in your pew Bibles. Now, right up front, I have to be uh, honest with you all, and then I have been dreading preaching this text to you this week. See, over the last few weeks, I've been able to put it aside and just be able to focus on next steps in terms of leading this church in a good and necessary direction that we all need to go, uh, a direction that is given from the Lord, a, a direction that we've, we, the elders, have been able to get around and champion and firmly believe in. But during this process, there have been some things that have come to light that were disheartening. As some people have questioned our leadership, particularly my leadership. So on Tuesday, when I just sit back down with this text, picked it back up, and it's this warning of hardening our hearts and Israel's rebellion against God and his appointed leader, Moses, I I texted Caleb, Kyle, and Keith, and I just said, I, I really don't want to preach this. I know God's timing is perfect, and that it's no accident that I'm preaching this now. It was no coincidence that I began preaching Hebrews when I did, that I had to set it down, when I did, that I picked it back up, when I did, and where I did, and it is not personal agenda. It is not an accident that I am preaching this text to us today. But honestly, I fear how I might be misperceived. I fear how I might be misjudged or how some may persist in believing the worst about me. So all, all week I've been battling with, with these voices in my head that they will not hear God's voice from you, that they won't trust you to lead them, that there are some who are against you and will not be happy until you are gone, and you will never be able to convince them, so why even try? Just withdraw just duck and cover, just tiptoe around all of this hard stuff. Maybe, maybe just go and preach a different text, an easier text. Maybe pick Hebrews back up in another six months or so. So many voices. Voices of fear, voices of hurt, voices of confusion and frustration and distrust, voices of grumbling and complaint, so many voices, even now, swirling in my head as I look out at you. Just being honest. So I didn't want to preach this passage. But the Lord's timing is perfect. And I need to trust Him. You see, just like the Israelites in the wilderness or the original audience of this letter to the Hebrews, we are in a time of testing. And this passage, 
was given by God to those who are in a time of testing being tempted to harden their hearts against him. And so please, please hear me when I say that I'm not angry with anyone, that I am not targeting anyone in particular in this sermon. This is not some commentary on how I am perceiving our current situation. I did not plan to preach this text into somehow guilting you into some sort of response. God has purposed it for me to preach this passage now in this time of testing for our good. God foresaw it. I did not. So if your conscience is pricked during this sermon, please don't assassinate me in your hearts. I'm not preaching my ideas or my thoughts or my words. I'm striving to proclaim His. But what is most important to me is this, that you would hear the voice of God. That's what I want. In light of everything, don't let those competing voices that are in our heads drown out the work that God intends to do this morning through His Word. So please don't harden your hearts. God will bring good from this. He already has, He is, and He most certainly will. What God is saying to us this morning from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 is this. And when tempted to rebel against the voice of God, seek rest in Him. When tempted to rebel against the voice of God, seek rest in Him. And may our hearts be inclined towards Him. May we hear His voice this morning as we read Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. When tempted to rebel against the voice of God, seek rest in Him. We're just going to break that down into two parts this morning. So first, when tempted to rebel against the voice of God. No one sets out with this intention to purposefully rebel against God. It begins with questions. It begins with concerns with unsettled feelings, with confusion, with conflicting thoughts that ultimately lead us down that path of distrusting God. Adam and Eve in the garden didn't determine in their hearts to overthrow God. They simply began to question His Word, to question His goodness, to question His character, to question His provision, to question his timing. 
They started listening to the competing voices in their heads, the voice of Satan, but, but also the voice of fear and confusion and distrust. They looked at that tree and they said, no, this, this beautiful fruit is good for eating. And if it can make us wise for salvation so that we can be like God on our own terms, then why? Why would God withhold it from us? And so they disobeyed the command. Not knowing, not knowing at all just the depth of the ramifications of their sin. Not knowing the magnitude of this act of rebellion against God. It's not as though they were outright rejecting Him. It's not as though they didn't still think to themselves or consider themselves to be His children. But they hardened their hearts against His voice. They fell into temptation and they rebelled against God. See, the voices in their heads, the voices in their hearts, drown out the voice of God. The original audience of this letter to the Hebrews were battling with conflicting voices as well. They were in a really tough spot. Persecution was on the rise. Life was getting really difficult. Jesus hadn't come back yet. God wasn't ushering in the kingdom of God as quickly as they hoped that he would. And so they thought, they were beginning to wonder where God was and what God was doing. And so they thought to themselves, you know what? Maybe if we just go back to Judaism, maybe if we just put ourselves back under the law again, that that will somehow satisfy God in a way that he's not currently satisfied and he will change our circumstances that things will go better for us. It's not as though they were trying to deny Jesus. It's not as though they weren't earnest in their desire to worship God. But as it says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, they were drifting away from Christ. And they weren't actively pursuing the source, pursuing the head. It's just like drifting down a river. If you're not actively paddling upward, you're drifting downward. They didn't realize it, but they were neglecting this great salvation. In listening to these conflicting voices, they were at risk of exchanging the founder of our salvation, Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of all things, one and only Son of God, in order to follow Moses, his servant. And our passage begins with a therefore. All right, it's drawing an inference. It's drawing a conclusion from verses 1 through 6, where the author appeals to these holy and heavenly called brothers and sisters to consider Jesus how he as both creator of the house and heir of God's house as son is superior to God's faithful servant Moses. But instead of holding fast to our only confidence, instead of holding fast to our only means of boasting, instead of holding fast to our only hope, they were letting Jesus slip through their fingers. We're losing sight of him. 
walking out the front door of the mansion to go live in the servants' quarters with Moses. So many voices. But in seeking to follow Moses by their own efforts, they were ignoring God's voice. And they were no different than the Israelites in the wilderness. So the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95, which is this spirit-inspired commentary on the events that took place way back 500 years even before that uh, in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 at this place called Meribah. Now God, at Meribah, God had just delivered Israel from slavery through plagues that he put upon Egypt. He had allowed them to plunder their captors. He destroyed the Egyptian army after delivering them through the Red Sea. He gave them manna, this bread from heaven to eat. And man, did they sing his praises. But now they're in the wilderness and there's no water. And they were scared and confused They were uncomfortable, insecure, unsure, frustrated, worried about the future, worried about their lives. And so it says, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And Numbers 20 tells the same account, but in this one it includes Moses' rebellion. Because their quarreling against God's appointed leader had made his spirit bitter. And so he spoke rashly with his lips. Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water from this rock? as if he could do that. And he struck the rock not one time, but twice. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them... He showed himself holy. Israel failed. Moses failed. God showed himself as holy. Showed himself holy in his grace and mercy and provision for them. He showed his holiness 
because he was faithful to his covenant, because he continued to love them despite their rebellion. But he also showed his holiness in making an oath that none of them would enter into his rest. See, all of that quarreling and dissension, all of that grumbling and complaining, all of that fear and insecurity, all of the anger and rashness was rebellion against our holy God. Every single one of them, Moses included, had disobeyed the word of God. Their hearts were hard towards his voice, and he swore they would not enter his rest. Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 is God's voice, God's record of this rebellion to be given not just as a history for us to learn about in Sunday school, but as a lesson, as a warning, as a heart check for us. Because look at what's happening here. Right? In our text, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, this is a quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. It's not a quote from Exodus 17 or, or Numbers 20, but a quote from Psalm 95. And look at how it begins and who it's applied to. It says, today, today, if you hear his voice, if God is speaking to you today, as in this recounting of Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, then do not harden your hearts. Now the psalmist adds a little bit that we don't have in Hebrews here because he includes as at Meribah, as on the one day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they, did, though they had seen my work. Now, the author of Hebrews leaves that off in order to make it more timeless and personally applicable to us. He doesn't want us to get kind of caught up in the details and think that he's just speaking to something that happened back then. But who is the psalmist speaking to? What is his context? It's the people of Israel, but the people of Israel during the time of the kings, 500 years after Israel wandered in the wilderness. And yet he says, God is saying to you from this ancient record, from his holy scripture, to apply this to your heart and not harden it and rebel the way that they did. God's people, during the time of the kings, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But then, the author of Hebrews takes that song, that psalm, that, that message, that sermon, that holy and Spirit-inspired commentary on Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, and then he applies it to these early church Jewish Christians during the time of the apostles, and he says to them, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit is saying this, 
Just as he said back in Exodus 17 and in Numbers 20 and in Psalm 95, so he says again in Hebrews chapter 3 to the original audience, but also right here and right now to us in the preaching of his word. He's speaking. The Holy Spirit speaking through God's word. Do you believe that? Do you earnestly believe that? Is that why you came here today? In order to hear the voice of God? Or is it just to fulfill your religious obligations? Because he is speaking and he's speaking through his word. That's what this says. That's the implication of it. He's speaking. These, are, these words are not dead and ancient. They are living and active because the Holy Spirit is speaking through them to us unless our hearts are hardened towards them. That's the point the Holy Spirit has been making to every single generation of God's people. The Holy Spirit is speaking, and so today, if you hear God's voice As he is speaking through his word, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, the timeless rebellion that exists in the heart of every single person, including those who would consider themselves to be God's people. It's not written to unbelievers, it's written to believers who consider themselves to be the people of God just as Israel did in the time of the wilderness and in the time of the kings. Just like these Jewish Christians did, the time of the apostles. Now they, at the time, just thought it was a little grumbling and complaining. They just thought they were addressing their concerns. They just thought they were disagreeing with how their leader had brought them into the wilderness. They were just venting their their fears and their confusions and their frustrations. They just thought that they had a better way. For the Israelites in the wilderness, it was go back to Egypt. For those in time of the letter to the Hebrews, it was place ourselves back under the law. But in reality, it's this. It's not trusting God, not worshiping Him, not following Him until He fixes my situation to my liking. And if He doesn't do it now in my way, then I'm going to dig in my heels until He does. But the Holy Spirit says through God's Word that disobedience to God's revealed Word reveals a hardness of heart. Not just in them way back then, but in us here and now. And not just everyone else in this room except for me, but me and everyone else in this room. All of us. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking through all of God's Word. Exodus 17, Numbers 20, Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, from Genesis to Revelation. He is speaking to us, to you and to me, so that we would not put Him to the test, so that we would not harden our hearts against Him. 
And friends, we have got to open our eyes in order to see that so many of our grumblings and our complaints, so many of the fears and concerns, so much of the confusion and frustration and negative feelings, and so much of the heart attitude of bitterness and hurt and distrust and unforgiveness, the backbiting, the slander, the gossip, the quarreling, is because we are listening to all the wrong voices rather than obeying his. Rather than putting his first. Listening to the voices in our heads, listening to the voices in our hearts, listening to the voices of others, following those but not him. We fail to trust God. We fail to obey Him. We fail to follow Him. Not because we have outright rejected Him, but because we're simply choosing to listen to other voices more than His. I've certainly seen this in my own heart. Disappointments, discouragements, significant losses, Weariness, isolation of leadership compounded in both anger and depression. And many times I found myself asking, just like the Israelites did in Exodus 17, is the Lord among us or not? And like Psalm 106 says of Moses, I was angry. Went ill with me. My spirit was made bitter and I spoke rashly. With my lips, I disobeyed God and I struck the rock at least twice. Now the time, the place, and the people were different. But the heart is the same. And so God's oath to Moses and to the Israelites is what I deserve. It's what we all deserve. Disobedience to the Word of God reveals a hardness of heart that provokes the wrath of God. They had put Him to the test, though countless times He had shown His signs and wonders. He had shown His grace. He had shown His works. And yet, it says in verse 10, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known My ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Friends, if that's true for Moses and the Israelites of his day, and if that's true for God's people during the time of the kings, and if that's true for these Jewish Christians during the time of the apostles, then that is most certainly true for us, whether you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ or not. Our hearts go astray. We have failed to know His ways. And apart from Christ, we all deserve His wrath. Left in and of ourselves, even in all of our best intentions and all of our strivings and best labors, we would fail to enter into that rest. 
That is what our sin deserves. Eternal separation from God and His glory. The removal of all of His blessings. A life lived eternally in the thirst and the hunger and the empty, unmet needs of the wilderness. That's just how hard our hearts have been towards our Maker and Sustainer, the Lord of all glory, to our only provider, our only hope of salvation, the one who offers eternal blessing, the only one in whom we can find peace and well-being beyond all comprehension forevermore. That is what we deserve. we want that rest, don't we? I mean, I hope you want God's rest. So how do we get there? When tempted to rebel against the voice of God, second, seek rest in Him. Though this passage ends seems to end at least negatively. There are a number of redemptive applications that we can draw from it. Today, we can turn to Him and find rest. And it starts with distrusting our own hearts, distrusting our own ways, because we know that they're hard, because we know that we've disobeyed God, and we know that we deserve His wrath. And instead of doubting or doubling down on them and continuing to listen to all of those competing voices, we need to distrust our hearts and our ways and instead trust His to make His voice the priority, His voice to set the direction and how we are to move forward. And we are to do that today. Right here And right now. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, today. Not later. Not kicking the can down the road, hoping somebody else will kind of do it for you. Or that you just got to wait and hold out until everybody else gets their act together and maybe you'll change your mind. It says, today, don't harden your hearts. Because He is speaking through His Word, we are not to harden our hearts towards Him. Because here's the thing, all of that horizontal stuff that we got going on, you don't think that that doesn't affect the vertical? Do I need to provide you with a little scriptural proof? How about this? First Peter chapter 3. Husbands are to love their wives and live with them in an understanding way. Why? So that their prayers would not be hindered. Hebrews chapter 13, right? We are to obey and submit to our leaders as those who have to give an account for our souls and let them do it with joy and not with groaning because it would be of no advantage to you. So maybe, maybe just maybe, if you're not feeling the advantage of their leadership, could it be that you're making it a groaning, horizontal, affecting the vertical? When we come together, and we know that there's a grievance between us, what are we to do? We're to leave our gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to our brother, and then we come back and offer it up. Or that when we presume that that we have a license to 
to nitpick in the lives of our, our brother or sister, we first take the log out of our own eyes before we can see clearly to deal with their own? Guys, that, that horizontal is affecting the vertical. Let's not, let's not deceive ourselves. Today, do not harden your hearts. But when we don't do it today, we build walls of isolation and protection. We write down extensive laundry lists of all the reasons we have to be bitter against our brother or sister. We harden our hearts against each other, and in doing so, we harden our hearts against God. This is why 1 John says, listen, if you don't have love for your brother, you don't know the love of God. And so we need to respond today. Not tomorrow, not later, but today. Now, of course, we can't respond today if we are unable to hear His voice. And honestly, I think one of the biggest reasons why we don't respond today or we harden our hearts is because we simply don't seek to hear His voice or to know His ways. We treat the Word of God as some lifeless book or some task that we are to check off of the list, but not as our Heavenly Father speaking to us the very words of life through this passage through this word through this text how differently would it be if we approach it when in approaching God's word if we actually believed that when we came to it God would speak to us if when you held it in your hand when you sat down instead of taking your Instagram pictures of your coffee and your flowers and your Bible sitting there all night you're looking to hear from God. How differently would we approach the Word of God if we firmly believe that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And more than I need food, more than I need drink, I need the Word of the Lord for my nourishment, for the salvation of my souls, for my satisfaction. More than I need to do those things. And you, guys, we eat every day. But yet, our, our Bibles collect dust. We need the spiritual nourishment that comes only from hearing the voice of God, not in what my hands can provide, but only in what He speaks. If you do not know His Word, you cannot hear His voice. You are, and if you cannot hear His voice, you are going to be listening to all the wrong things. And as a result, whether you mean for it to be or not, the result will be a hard heart, even if unknowingly that is the case 
you are rebelling against God. So we seek rest by responding today, by hearing His voice, not others, and to view our trials and circumstances, like the one that we're in right now as a church, as a time of testing, to see whether or not we actually believe Him. If we're actually going to trust Him. If we're actually going to take Him at His word. God doesn't test us because He's mean or vindictive. We don't experience trials in, the life, in our lives that we do because it's evidence of God's hatred or rejection of us. It doesn't mean that God is not present with us, but this testing reveals two things. It reveals who He is, and it reveals who we are. In testing you see both His goodness and His holiness. Not, not that those things can be separated. Towards the Israelites, He showed Himself merciful and gracious. You see His provision, His covenant faithfulness. You see His love as well as His righteousness, His justice, His holiness. And in every single time of testing, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, God will prove Himself the same. He will. But that time of testing also reveals who we are. The nature of our hearts. Hearts that either turn toward Him or hearts that harden against Him even if we keep showing up. See, God knows our hearts perfectly. But in His kindness, He reveals them to us. That's what He did for these Israelites, and that's what He's doing for us. This is a time of testing right now to see where our hearts actually are. How are we responding to Him? Are we responding in faith and trust, even in the midst of our fears and confusions and frustrations and worries or concerns, or... Will we harden our hearts against Him and His people? So let's not so disprove of our circumstances that we fail to see them as a time of testing in order to show us the glory of God and the gravity of our own hearts. Let's not put the Lord our God to the test. Let's uphold Him as holy. Because here's the thing. God actually brings us all out into the wilderness. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to bring you out into the wilderness and He's going to do so so that He can give you His rest. We don't learn that if we're comfortable. If we find ourselves resting. So God doesn't do that in the times of abundance. He does it in the time of testing in the wilderness. And He does it to give you rest. And you gain more rest as you understand who He is and the true nature of your hearts.
So the strategies we've seen so far in this passage that show us how we might find our rest in Him are to respond today, to hear His voice, to see life as a time of testing, and to remember His works. Those Israelite fathers failed because though they saw God's mighty works for 40 years, they did not remember them. It's not because they, they struggled with amnesia because they somehow had a heat stroke from being out there in the wilderness for too long. They literally couldn't remember what they were. But because they failed to trust in the fact that God had worked mightily towards them in the past and so they can have confidence and assurance that he will work mightily again. Now, I, I, I did this strength finders assessment recently. And uh, my top five were learner, ideation, strategic, achiever, and command, which makes for a really good visionary leader and a, somebody who's really, 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 really poor at remembering because I'm so busy focused on the next thing and moving towards that that I can't take time to celebrate what has happened. So it's been eye-opening for me, and I, I want to do a better job of remembering, remembering what God has done and to celebrate it. And it's actually a good and slightly irritating thing that Kyle is one of our elders, because Kyle is kind of like Ferdinand the Bull, you know, kind of gently taking it all in, smelling the flowers, forgetting he's a bull, right? When I'm more of the bull in a china shop kind of bull, you know? Or in baseball, he'd be like the kid out in right field looking up in the sky, chasing the, the butterflies around, you know, and I'm the kid on short, right? And it's just like the game is on the line, and I'm seeing that the kid that's coming up to the plate is the same kid that went his direction last time, and so I'm yelling at him, hey, get in the game, you know? Like, but I don't say this to just, you know, to ridicule Kyle at all. I say that in order to commend him because Kyle is a whole lot better at remembering and celebrating the evidences of God's grace in the life of this church than I am. And so I'm thankful to have him, to remind me. And I want to be more like that. But God has been at work here, hasn't he? And if he has, will he not do so again? But we have got to have better memories. Not the memories of all of our grievances, but the memories of all of His graces. We may not have walked through the Red Sea or anything, but hasn't God been saving and sustaining us with bread from heaven that is greater than manna? So if we have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, can we not have the same mind, and the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, so that our joy is complete in Him? 
to do that, we have to remember his works. Today, if you hear his voice, see this as a time of testing, remember his works, and turn your heart towards him, not away from him. In verse 10, the Israelites died in the wilderness because God knew their hearts always went astray from him. He was giving them rest, but they kept running the other way. And so God gives us the warning so that we might turn our hearts towards him before it's too late. Now, God is not demanding perfection here. He's not immediately condemning for rebellion or disobedience. This was long and protracted. God's assessment here was based upon repeated rebellion in the face of miraculous deliverance. God had performed repeated wonders to rescue them over 40 years, and each time they turned astray. So he's not talking about one instance of rebellion, one instance of disobedience, one instance where your heart has gone astray, or two, or 20. The difference is between the kid that runs away from the person who's seeking to rescue them and they fall into their peril and the child who, though throwing a tantrum and kicking and screaming, is being held by his father who will not let him go. And so he fights and he fights and he fights and he fights until he wears himself out and then he turns into the embrace of his father. It's really a question of whether or not we think life is better outside of his arms or inside his arms. But it's his love that turns our hearts. One last heart application from this text so that we might seek our rest in him is to know his will and his ways. Not to academically know his ways, but for his will and his ways to be our will and our ways. As long as we keep insisting on our own ways, whether we consider ourselves to be among God's people or not, we will not enter into his rest. The way forward, the way of peace, the way of rest is to stop seeking our own ways and to commit to his For his heart to be our hearts. For his desires to be our desires. For his mission to be our mission. For his purposes to be our purposes. For his way to be our way. And friends, God is saying all of that to people like us who are in a time of testing and are being tempted to rebel against him. Tempted to harden their hearts against him and he's what is he doing here he's offering us rest today hear his voice see this as a time of testing remember his works turn your hearts toward him know his ways and find rest rest for your souls rest from sin rest from fear Rest from confusion and frustration and hostility. 
rest from distrust and discord, rest from striving to earn your place before God by your own effort, rest from comparison and condemnation, rest from guilt and rest from shame, rest from wearying yourself out in a graceless existence and finding the energy and the strength to commit to his ways by his grace and in the sustenance that he himself supplies. Rest that comes only by putting Christ first in our lives, before our wills, before our ambitions, before our desires, before our concerns, before any of those other voices that would seek to supplant His. Trust in no one or nothing else. Trust in Him. Hear His voice which is far superior to anything else. The voice that gives you rest. The voice of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is speaking. The question is, will we listen? When tempted to rebel against the voice of God, seek rest in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that You would help us Help us to see our utter need to hear from you. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that our ears and our eyes and our minds would be open to receive your word, that our souls would be satisfied with with nourishment from it like we have never known. Lord, Pray that we would trust you. We would truly take you at your word. That we would not reduce our faith down to some doctrinal statements or religious practices, but that we would actively, heart, soul, mind, strength, trust you, love you, take you at your word. God, speak to us all. May it lead us to repentance and faith. May it cause us to turn away from the rebellion that exists in our own hearts, to find life, find grace, find peace, to find rest. In Jesus Christ, it's in his name I pray, amen.